Thank you, Helen. Well, it feels like we've had a feast already, doesn't it? Don't you feel full already? No? Just me. Okay, well, I do. Uh, that's been uh, amazing. Just to be able to be in the presence of God and sensing what God's saying to us um, already. Father, we, we thank you for your word. Lord, it's been a delight to worship you and we have a sense this morning that you're speaking to us individually and corporately and you've encouraged us to come into your presence and you've encouraged us to come with boldness and with confidence and to to feast with you and Lord we confess at times we do have a mentality that all we deserve is scraps and we pray Lord that that would be gone from us today that we would with boldness and courage not in our own ability but in your grace come into your presence and delight in the feast that you prepared in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, last week we were looking at um, the fruit of the Spirit and beginning a kind of, we had a couple of sessions of just getting us into this topic of what the fruit of the Spirit is. I've got the uh, a, a scripture coming up in just a moment if you weren't here last week so you can recap and catch up. And uh, this is it. This is the uh, passage we've been looking at and we will be just next week as well. Um, this is it. It says, Paul writes, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And we were talking just last week about how because of the work God does in us, we should see these things growing in our lives. This isn't a list of stuff to, a kind of a, a, a list of requirements that we've got to go, oh, oh, I've got to do add a bit more of this and add a bit more of that and a bit more of that into my life. But it's actually the opposite way when, when, when Paul's writing this. He's talking about when we've got the Spirit at work in us, these things grow and, and are kind of are naturally occurring in our lives. And what we're going to do over the next two weeks is just hone in. Rather than talk about principles, hone in and look at an aspect of the fruit. So today, I've chosen one uh, which I think is a bit overlooked. Um, I think I've spoken on it before, but not quite in this way. And, and to help us get into this topic of kindness, which I want to speak about today, I want to just recount a news story that occurred a little while ago. Any of you recognize this chap on the right? You may have seen this photo. Uh, it was a few months ago, a chap called Herman Gordon. He's a cleaner at the University of Bristol. And uh, he is relentlessly happy. Just overwhelmingly joyful, this man. And so the students have been so blessed by him. He's been there about 12 years. And the students are just so encouraged by this man who lifts them up when they're feeling down. He puts a smile on their face. He gives them a reason to be cheerful that they club together, collected about 1,500 pounds to send him back to Jamaica, not permanently because they wanted him back again, but, but for a trip because he'd not been for about a decade. And uh, there's a little video clip you can find online if you want to as the students present him with an envelope stuffed full of cash and he's overwhelmed. And uh, he blesses them. He says, God bless you. Oh, it's amazing. And he's, I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but he was just overwhelmed at this act of kindness that's being exhibited to him. And it's coming from the kindness he's shown day after day after day. What an impact to have if you're cleaning a university to think that you've made that much difference that students who spend years complaining how penniless they are would dip into their pockets, their, dip into their parents' pockets and <laughs> you can see this is a pointed topic for some of us at the moment. Um, no, not at all. Uh, dip into their pockets and give of their little 
to somebody else that they can bless them and be kind to them. Isn't this amazing? So we're looking at this topic of kindness today. And, and biblically, when we look at kindness, it's, it's very close to goodness. It, it's, it's very, very close. And the meanings overlap in different parts of the Bible. Um, it's not just that it's close in the same verse or it's close actually next to it in the same verse. The two, two go together, kindness and goodness. But it's actually that they're close in meaning as well. And, and I think kindness is in, in a way an outward expression of goodness. It's an outward expression of love as well. And we're going to see a little bit about God's kindness to start with and then our kindness too. I'm going to take you through uh, as many of the scriptures as I can. And this is an unusual way of doing it for me. But I think this, uh, there's a lot of richness that we want to get today as we look at God's kindness. First, he wants us to see this, that God's kindness is everlasting. There's a passage in Isaiah 54, and it's, it's a famous passage to, to, to many, and uh, you may have come across this one. It starts with these words, Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy. We've just been hearing about a little baby being born, and that's exciting. But this is a, a person here, a symbolic actually of Israel, who's who, this, this kind of cries going out, and God's saying, you've been unfruitful You've been actually unfaithful, but you're now coming into a time of blessing and of my provision, and that's my word for you. And in the middle of this passage, Isaiah 54, we come across verse 8, which is referring to a time when um, Israel, through their own unfaithfulness, God had allowed them to go into a a place of exile and and away from kind of the promised land of Israel. And he says this, um, for a brief moment, I abandoned you. But with deep compassion, I'll bring you back. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Now, we read those passages and we're struck by the word anger in there. In a surge of anger. Because we get frightened by this sense of our own people in authority being angry with us. Maybe parents or whoever being angry with us. And probably that's the bit that stood out. As we read through that, or abandoned, you may have seen that. But the writer's not saying, uh, as Isaiah's recording this, God isn't saying through him that that's the emphasis. The emphasis, if you read it, as, obviously, as you just scan the text, you can see that the emphasis on anger or on abandonment is brief. It's momentary. God's saying there was a time when, as a result of your continued, continued uh, immorality, you're continued abandoning me, I let you go. Not into complete, uh, kind of complete abandonment, but just for a moment, I let go of you being in the promised land and I, I, I let your enemies come and have dominion for a time. But the backstory, the underneath story that runs all through that, this, this whole story of God saying, okay to Israel, you can go and have some time away, is that God's compassion never fails. And his kindness is everlasting, everlasting. You know, some people read the the Bible and as a result of reading it, as a result of emphasizing certain bits, they paint a picture of God who's longing to punish people and longing to send them away. As if God is just desperate to punish those wicked, rotten sinners. And I don't want to diminish the nature of sin. But we should never be able to talk of hell without tears in our eyes. Because I believe that's how God views his creation. He loves people. He loves his creation. It doesn't diminish uh, the the sense of 
um, anger that's there. It doesn't diminish the judgment. We'll come on to that in a moment. But the kindness of God is everlasting. It lasts forever. Uh, and it's, it's unfailing, which is the next bit. This passage here, the Lord appeared to us. This is Jeremiah this time. The Lord appears to us in the past saying, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. Did you know that most of the verses about kindness in the Old Testament relating to God are in the book of Jeremiah? And Jeremiah is a miserable man. You ever read the book of Jeremiah? He's got a difficult message to share. And you get a sense with some of these prophetic characters, Elijah too, that there's an element of of almost depression with Elijah uh, as he kind of has these highs and lows, as he's torn by the word of God and the, the, the kind of impact it has on his own life as he carries a message. And sometimes you see that with the prophetic. And we've got here Jeremiah, this man who's got a difficult message to share, but it's interesting that this is the book in the Old Testament where kindness comes through again and again and again. And if you read the prophetic books, and particularly um, my Bible reading plan, I'm just coming on to the minor prophets. Um, That's the last 12 little prophetic books. There's, There's often messages of judgment, but in every one there's a message of hope. In every one there's a message of love. In every one there's a message of God drawing and pulling and saying, come on, I've loved you. I love you, I love you, I love you. God's kindness is unfailing. You know, you've not gone too far to have gone beyond the bounds of God's God's kindness. No matter how far you feel you've gone, no matter what you feel you've done, no matter where you feel you are in your life today, you've not gone beyond the boundary of God's kindness. It's everlasting. It's unfailing. But what about, we might say, what about when times are tough? What about when things are difficult, when there's an ache a pang, not like a prophetic one like these guys are carrying, but there's just a sense that something's wrong in my life and why won't God fix it? Because I've prayed and I've asked and, and I'm still left with this pang. God, where's your kindness then? I want to say that God's kindness is still unfailing. Even in those times where it seems that there's no answer. Where it seems as though the one thing you've asked for, it's as if you've said to God, you can do what you like with the rest of my life. I just want this one thing. You know, like the kid who, who says, I want this. I really, really, really want it. And nothing else matters in that moment. Until 10 minutes later when they want something different. Or half an hour later when they want something different. Now, we're not like that. The periods of time are much longer. We've got more patience and more resilience. But, but there are times when there's an ache and there's a cry for something that hasn't happened yet. But this passage and many others demonstrate to us that God's kindness is still unfailing even in those moments where we're wrestling with God. Those moments where we're saying, God, what about this? You see, the truth is this, that it's only in God's kindness that our lives are sustained at all. It's only in God's kindness that we're provided for at all. It's only in God's kindness that we have clothes and food and, uh, and light and heat and provision around us. It's only in God's kindness that we, we have everything. Uh, there's no easy answers for the why question But the who question is the answer to the why question. The question, the why question is, God, why is this happening? And God refers us back to him and he says, I'm all your all-sufficient one. I'm all you need. I'm your all-sufficient one. I'm your answer. I'm your provision. I'm your God. And that's because of his kindness. But we've, we've had a couple of illustrations today about small children. And there's another illustration about Israel. And this is from another prophet, another challenging message 
Hosea is a guy in the Old Testament who's a prophet and um, Israel has been so unfaithful. Just relentlessly unfaithful to God. That God tells him to go and marry a prostitute as a symbol of Israel's unfaithfulness. And he does, and she's unfaithful to him. And God tells Hosea to go and win her back again. And so Hosea goes and wins her back again. And you've got this sense of this continued unfaithfulness. And it's a message of God's love and compassion. And, and in this, this book, we read this, and it says, It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, this is God speaking, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek. I bent down to feed them. And there's this sense of God's incredible kindness. And yet, there are times when the people who he's being kind to aren't aware of his kindness. You know, the little child who's taught to walk. I don't have memories of my parents teaching me to walk. But here I am. It's amazing. How did this happen? In my own world, where I'm the center of the universe growing up, and some of us are still distancing ourselves from that, aren't we? We're, when we realize we're not quite the center of the universe anymore, but in my own world, when I'm the center of the universe, nobody else teaches me to do stuff like that. I just am able to. We've lost the things that our parents did for us when we were very little, and this passage is talking about the God who did the very basic things out of his kindness to a people who were saying, where are you then? Where are you then? Where are you, God? This doesn't look like we imagined, and actually it's God's continued kindness that's demonstrated to them again and again and again, even when they can't see it. Moving on to the New Testament, we read that God's kindness is universal. And this is one of those passages where, you know, people love to quote Jesus as this great wise teacher and then ignore everything he ever said. This is one of those passages that fits into that category. But love your enemies. And the next bit kind of sticks in the throat, doesn't it? Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back, and then your reward will be great. And you'll be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Wow, is this beginning to sink in? God's kindness. I want to just paint a picture this morning quickly of God's kindness. How kind God is. His love expressed in his action towards us that he's relentlessly, unendingly, unfailingly kind. He's kind to us. I probably ought to say, I think I had it later in my notes, but I probably ought to say now, it's not nice. God isn't, this isn't niceness we're talking about. God's, God's kind. There's a difference between niceness and kindness. Niceness just is, oh, you kind of, this bit's nice. It's what we feel as Brits when we go to other cultures where there's a, a service culture and service is high and people treat you like they care. And we look and go, well, it's just fake, isn't it? It must be. Because we're used to a slightly more cynical culture uh, where people don't show this kind of in, in a shop. You don't necessarily get, hi, great to see you. How are you doing today? Have a nice day now. You get, you know, slightly rougher treatment sometimes. And so we can treat that as fake, but this isn't just a niceness. This isn't just being nice and pleasant to people. God isn't 
just placating people. He's genuinely kind. He's looking out for their best interests. This is his love expressed in provision again and again, in his grace again and again. And here, even to the ungrateful and the wicked. And I'll take you back to something I said a few minutes ago where we've got this sense that God is righteous and holy and almighty and there will be a day when everyone stands before him. But I don't believe that God wants to punish anyone forever, that they must forever be without him. That's not his desire. God wants all people to be saved. And even those who choose to the end of their days to reject and reject and reject God, when anybody looks at it, you can demonstrate that God has been kind to those people, despite their rejection. Despite their ungratitude, despite their wickedness, God has relentlessly been kind again and again and again. His kindness is universal. His kindness is not an alternative to justice. God doesn't choose between being kind and being just. He is both just and kind. Jeremiah 9.24 says this, Let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me that I'm the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord, declares the Lord. Now, I think it's often the case that we as individuals or as groups of people gravitate to one or the other. You may gravitate to a sense of God's justice and righteousness and lose a sense of God's kindness. Or you may gravitate towards a sense of God's kindness and lose a sense of God's justice and righteousness. And God, God doesn't do that. He, he manages to hold both together. And this one verse is brilliant because it says that these are the things that God delights in. Justice, righteousness, and kindness. And that can feel a bit like an odd mixture, can't it? Because you can think, well, surely those things are quite different. How can God be exercising righteousness on the one hand and kindness on the other? But in God's perfection, he does that easily. God is righteous and holy. There's no malice or evil intent in him whatsoever. He's kind because he wants to, he is the expression of his love. And he's just because every wrong that's been done will be dealt with one day. God will bring justice to the world. He will, for those who have lived without justice, there will be a day where justice comes. That's the hope that we have in Christ. That even where justice seems to be missed out in this life, God is the one who is just and is holy and is righteous and is kind and he will ensure justice. He's the God of all justice. And so this means that in God's kindness, we we mustn't take it too lightly. This is a serious thing. Romans says, consider the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you'll also be cut off. And so this kindness is... Generic, it's extended to all, but there's kindness to God's people, which if you want to, you can step outside of. But God doesn't want that to happen. He wants us to be benefiting from his outpoured kindness and goodness again and again and again. By the way, don't panic about that verse. I've cut out a little verse here, but the whole passage is about those who have been cut off, being brought back in again. That's the whole point. So this is a, It's talking about Israel who've been cut off and the people who didn't want to recognize the Messiah, didn't want to be part of belonging to Christ, who've 
kind of been cut off, but the, the whole of Romans 9 to 11 is about the people of God being brought back in to that, that olive tree that's sim- symbolized there. So this sense of being cut off is temporary in this passage. Let's move on. God's kindness is most greatly revealed in Jesus. Most amazingly revealed in him. Titus 3 talks about the time we were foolish and disobedient and deceived. And then, and then the kindness of God appeared. And he saved us. The kindness of God appeared. Did it feel like that in your life? Has it felt like that, that, that you were all over the place and then the kindness of God appeared? Not because of the righteous things you've done, but because of his mercy. And that kindness, Romans says, leads us to repentance. So this is joyful and, and thrilling and, and overwhelming because we see how big God's kindness is. And, and yet it's also a bit awesome because it's to lead us to repentance, to lead us to a place in him. This is the kind of thing we're talking about. And I'm going to get back to the fruit of the Spirit in a moment because I wonder where our kindness leads people. Does it lead them to God? Does it lead them to Him? Are we so much filled with the Holy Spirit and so living in track with Him and in tune with Him that we're being kind and that kindness is leading people closer to Him? I hope so. So we've seen so far that God's kindness is everlasting, unfailing. That we miss it sometimes. It's not always seen. It's universal. It's not an alternative for justice. It's most revealed in Jesus. And it leads to repentance. But what about us? Because we show this kindness as a fruit of the Spirit. Remember, it's, it's a fruit not of our own natural desire, but of God at work in us. It doesn't start with our effort. It starts with God at work. And as we come closer to him and walk in step with him, people should see, we should notice that we're kind. Generous, compassionate. And yet, when I look at my own life, that's some of the stuff that's missing at times. And maybe you feel the same. You know, when we talk about things like kindness or any of the other fruits of the Spirit, I've got illustrations in my mind stacking up of the times when I've not been kind, or I've not been patient, or I've not been peaceful. And there is this needing to journey continually with God and keep walking in step with the Spirit. And when you talk about kindness, I'm not sure that Christians are necessarily the first people that come to mind in people's minds outside. Because kindness isn't only shown by Christians, although it is a fruit of the Spirit. In Acts 20, have I got the verse? Yeah, there we go. Acts 28, Paul is shipwrecked. He's on his way to Rome. He's a captive and uh, he's shipwrecked at this point. And uh, this is what Acts 28 says. Once safely on shore, we found that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. So so being kind isn't the provision only of Christians, though it does reflect God's kindness still, and it is still a fruit of the Spirit, but in the same way that all those other attributes of the Spirit aren't just the preserve of Christians, uh, so it is with kindness. Now, Now we're in the time of year, where are we now? It's end of November, 25th. A few more days and then it's... December, and then the relentless pursuit of Christmas is upon us. And if you watch certain channels on the TV, you will have noticed that advertisers are now beginning just to pick up the Christmas advertising. Anybody noticed that? I 
tend not to watch it, but you must have done. I've heard about them. Um, the adverts are out there. And uh, there's one particular one I want to pick up on today, which is the John Lewis advert. You know this story? Every year John Lewis does a great advert and uh, people tell the story of the John Lewis advert and it's heartwarming and it's moving. And uh, then the chap on your left gets a lot of tweets uh, because his name is John Lewis. And uh, his Twitter tag, is it? Whatever, whatever it is, is the hashtag at John Lewis. It's just at John Lewis. That's his, his handle. Is that the right one? Um, and John Lewis, the company, actually is J&L Partners. So anytime anybody wants to complain or congratulate John Lewis, the company, they send a tweet and uh, it goes to the man on the left because his name is John Lewis and he gets 50,000 tweets a year. That's what he got last year, 50,000. And he answers them when they're relevant. Um, in fact, Twitter this year, did a, did their advert campaign was John Lewis answering tweets to the other John Lewis. And it was his response about the power of Twitter and how actually how patient this man is and how kind he is. Um, he lives in Blacks Blacksburg, Virginia. And uh, I wouldn't have his kind of energy. or He's got quite a cheeky sense of humor. Um, and he replies in jest to a lot of these tweets. Um, but 50,000 a year, he's a computer science teacher. And he's got, uh, I, so he just deals with this stuff day after day after day. Here's, here's one. Um, Alison Thompson has, has written on Twitter, at John Lewis, always a queue and always limited cake selection at Pearly. <laughs> the John Lewis has written back, sorry about the cake selection, I'm watching my figure. <laughs> at JNL Partners. So he's sending it back to John Lewis. And, and they give him presents now. So at Christmas, John Lewis in America gets presents from the John Lewis, the company, to thank him for his work over the year. There's another one. Um, I particularly like this one. He's a scientist, remember. So the, the quote at the bottom says, at John Lewis, this is from Fishy Delishy. How did the glass plate in my at Panasonic UK microwave just snap halfway through cooking something? It's only a few months old. John Lewis writes, my guess is that the uneven distribution of energy exploited microfractures in the plate invisible to the eye, causing expansion and contraction that ultimately resulted in a full fracture. But what do I know? <laughs> at giant JNL Partners. 50,000 a year. Now, I'm sure he doesn't reply personally to all of them, but that's impressive. Most of us would have given up or written rude stuff back because the internet is the place for writing stupid, angry stuff, isn't it? If you want to be angry, then you do it online and you pretend to be nice to people, to their face, and then you get it, vent it all down online. But this guy is sitting there. He's not a Christian. He's a self-avowed atheist. And here he is unwittingly reflecting kindness. The kindness of God that he's received, that he doesn't know he's received, that he's unwittingly sharing with others. Why? Because everybody has received God's kindness. Our call is to be examples of that um, as those who've received the Spirit. So this guy, day after day after day, writing back. You can have a look. Have a look on Twitter if you're on it and uh, look up at John Lewis and you'll see a whole string of them. Um, he gets a lot of hassle when it's the advert time of year because a lot of people write to thank him and uh, he writes back and does little films back and all sorts of stuff. But anyway, there you go. Um, so kindness isn't only shown by Christians. We show kindness because God has been at work in our lives. I haven't got the whole story up, 
But Jesus tells a story of a master who has two servants. And one owes him some money. And the master calls his servant in and cancels the debt. And the servant goes out and grabs another servant who owes him money and threatens to kill him. And the amounts are much different. So the, the first servant owes the master a huge amount of money. The second servant owes the other servant a small amount of money. And he's not displaying grace and he's not displaying kindness and he's not displaying anything of generosity despite the fact he's received it. And we are able to show kindness because God has been at work in our lives. There's no reason why we can't be kind to others because we have been recipients of the most incredible, amazing kindness. In fact, showing kindness is an amazing mark of God at work in our lives. This is an incredible passage. You know, there are times in the New Testament where Paul's writing, one of the early church leaders, and he, he, he has to fight so many battles. He has to fight against false teaching and accusation and people standing against him and people saying all sorts of things. And time, a few times in the New Testament, he has to write a commendation. Because other people are saying, well, we're, we're better apostles because of this, this, and this. And Paul generally comes back and says, well, I'm an apostle because of this, this, and this. But look at this description. As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love. All sorts of other people are claiming all sorts of other things, healings, miracles, teaching, revelations, special truth. Paul says, well, here you go. Here's my commendation. Now, when I get tired and overworked, I get grumpy. Anybody else in that category? Or stressed, you get a lot on your plate. Or someone lets you down, or someone upsets you, or someone... You know, just says something. You think, oh, that's really annoying. Look at Paul. Great endurance, troubles, hardships, distresses, beatings, imprisonments, riots, hard work, sleepless nights, hunger, followed by purity, understanding, patience, and kindness. How does he do it? How does he go through that and then be kind to people? Because I'd be really grumpy. A fraction of that. And we tell the stories, don't we? We moan at each other because we like moaning. And we, oh, you never believe what I had to do yesterday. Oh, well, you should hear of that. Or my week was work, worse than your week. And oh, well, someone else will chip in. No, mine was worse. And we kind of share this pity party of how bad our lives are. And we, we draw ourselves down. But Paul's saying, look at what I'm going through. And my response was purity and understanding and patience and kindness Note the next bit, not in my own pride and not in my own strength, in the Holy Spirit. And I think the key's there. It's the fruit of the Spirit. You see, when I'm reacting out of my flesh, I'm tired, I'm grumpy, I'm angry, I want to defend myself, I want to criticize, I want to pull down, I want someone else to make my moaning feel okay. But when I'm in the Spirit, I can be kind, I can be loving, I can be gracious, I can be good. Because it's God at work through 
me. Showing kindness is a mark of God at work in our lives. There are stories, we haven't got time to go into them, but if you want an incredible story of kindness, and your spelling's good, better than mine, look up David, that's easy to spell, and Mephibosheth, that's not so easy to spell. Um, And just read the story of David and Mephibosheth. Uh, Mephibosheth was the son of the son of David's enemy. And uh, just a, he should have had no time for this guy, but he welcomed him in. He said, who is there, summarizing, who is there in my enemy's family that I can show kindness to? An incredible story of God's kindness for David shown in David's kindness for Mephibosheth. We've said last week and the week before, this is not of our own doing, and this is the work of the Spirit, and that is absolutely true. But there is a tension, there's a decision to be made. And the tension is we have to decide to live by the Spirit. We have to decide to put on some of these things into our lives. And Paul writes this in Colossians 3, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And so he goes on. So this is the counterpart to it's all of the work of the Spirit. It's none of us. It's, it's God at work in us that bears the fruit. There's still a choice. And the choice is, do I walk with the Spirit or not? Do I clothe myself with these things or not? And that's the encouragement. We can put it on. And so today my encouragement is simple. Really simple. God is more kind than you've given him credit for. God is more kind to you than you've seen, more kind to me than I've seen. He's been kinder to us than we've realized. We have things in our lives that we think we did, but actually it was God's kindness. Those moments of brilliance, that best idea, that time you got out of a scrape and you've gone, oh, that was lucky. No, 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 no. No, we're here only because of the kindness of God. Those things you thought you worked out, it was the kindness of God. Time and time and time again. And that fear and that hesitancy that makes us hold back from going to God because we still see our sin and we still see our stain, we've forgotten the kindness of God. We've forgotten that his kindness is everlasting and overwhelming and universal. And his anger lasts for for a moment, but his kindness is eternal. And so we should come running. We've been encouraged today to come into God's presence. My encouragement is come running to the one who is kind. Give thanks to the one who's kind. Come running to the one who's kind. And display his kindness to others. Many of us struggle to treat people as they don't deserve because we've grown up all of our lives with payback. You deserved it in a small way. Someone nudges you, you nudge them back, particularly if it's your brother or your sister. Someone takes your bit of the back seat of the car, you make sure you take theirs. You know, from a very young age, Someone pinches your toy, you pinch theirs, and it's kind of, it's what we do naturally in the flesh because it feels right to us. There's a sense of justice that we're responsible for justice and it feels right. But actually, when we've got the Spirit at work in us, we're called to demonstrate love and kindness to those who don't deserve it. I wonder if we're brave enough today as I wrap up. Brave enough to accept God's kindness, maybe for the first time, and say, God, I need you in my life. I need your kindness. To accept God's kindness maybe for a subsequent time and say, I've been away from you. I've messed up. 
but I'm going to throw myself on your kindness today and trust you, that you love me, that you're kind, that you want me. Are we brave enough to let the Spirit be at work and dare to demonstrate kindness to those who don't deserve it, even if we don't get to mete out justice and we trust it to the one who we know is kind and we know is just? Should we pray? Should we pray that we might see God at work in our lives, that others might see him too? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands at this point for one particular thing, and that's the grumpy appeal. But I'm going to ask us to pray. And if you agree with me, then pray with me, even if that's under your own breath. Lord, there are times when we have missed sight, lost sight of your kindness to us. We've, we've brought a complaint and we've, we're aware that stuff isn't right in our lives and it's part of a great ache that the world has because things aren't right and we need you. And we know that you're restoring and renewing and we look forward one day to Christ your, Jesus, your return as you come back and you do bring justice and righteousness and you reign and rule. But in the meantime, there's this ache. And Lord, it causes us sometimes to focus on the things that are wrong and lose sight of the things that you're doing out of your kindness. And Lord, forgive us for that. We pray that we would see with fresh eyes your incredible kindness today to us and to those who don't deserve it, who actually are us still and others just like us. Lord, I pray also that you'd help us have courage to come running to you. Lord, we've had an encouragement today to come running Uh, into your presence. Rob encouraged us earlier on to come and respond, to know the Father's love. And Lord, I pray that uh, if there's someone here or more more than one person here who needs to know your love today, who needs your kindness, who's been putting it off, Lord, you'd give them courage today to come into your presence, to say, yes, that's me. I need to know the kindness of God. And Lord, you have mercy on them. For the rest of us, Lord, who find the kindness of other people very gratifying, very wonderful to receive. Find that at times we can be kind, but other times we're a bit grumpy. Would you help us? Would you help us to live less in the flesh, to live more in the spirit, and to exhibit the courageous kindness that you've called us to, that we might point people to the one who is kind, that we might show people your love, In Jesus' name, amen.